If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is a special hour number three of the World According to Zig podcast for this August 26, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the week or the month, whatever it happens to be from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And in this hour, I guess we're going to... To put a theme on it, it's going to be uh, all things related to alleged sex abuse scandals. Uh, obviously, my work on the uh, so-called Penn State scandal has taken up an enormous amount of my life for the last uh, six-plus years. And partially because of that, I, I got really very deeply involved into the whole alleged Jim Jordan Ohio State wrestling case, which I uh, wrote a column about a couple weeks ago, which I urge you to check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com or just Google it, because I think uh, I'm the only person that's gotten to the actual truth of what really did and did not happen there. And surprise, surprise, the, the media blew that story. But also in conjunction with the Jim Jordan Ohio State story, there's obviously been a maybe even bigger story from a sports perspective involving Ohio State and their current head football coach, Urban Meyer, who this week was suspended uh, for three games because of another alleged, I don't know if you call it sex abuse, but it was domestic abuse case. And uh, later on in this hour, I will have some thoughts about the uh, still exploding Catholic church scandal, both in Pennsylvania and now as we speak, apparently even involving Pope Francis. But before we do that, I want to bring in a guy who has a lot of insight into both of the Ohio State situations. He's a guy I've gotten to know a little bit over the last couple of months. His name is Matt Finks. He was a former defensive end for the Ohio State Buckeyes in the 1990s. He's currently a TV sports analyst in Columbus, and he's been an outspoken critic of the media in both of these situations. So without further further ado, Matt, welcome to the podcast. No, thanks for having me, John. All right, let's, let's first of all talk about uh, the uh, Urban Meyer situation, since you're a former football player. Obviously, you, you did not uh, not play for Urban Meyer, but I know that you've been – very outspoken about this situation. And I know from the Penn State case that whenever you have these situations, there's what the media is saying, and then there's what the truth is. And uh, it appears to me, well, I'm not nearly as close to it as you are, that there's a lot of that going on in the Urban Meyer case. Is, is that a fair assessment, in, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think that uh, 
that's a pretty fair assessment. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, ever since Wednesday and the, the decision that came out Wednesday evening, I spent pretty much a lot of the day on Thursday and Friday um, on, you know, local news and even national news. And it's, I mean, it really is, John, it's astonishing how little research is done by these people before they, they cast judgment and start and start talking about it. I mean, I was on the national CBS sports radio show and they start asking me questions about things that are just totally false. And I mean, I, I was on there. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Like, where are you getting your information? What are you talking about? And it's, it's shocking that, that, you know, the, the allegations that are made by an ex-wife that, that come to light and, and are aired out and, and they just get thrown into, they, A, they get taken as gospel. Um, you know, obviously there's two sides to every story and, and the truth, especially in matters of, of a divorce. And, and I think that, that that's probably where we are, we are at with this. Um, but it, it's, you know, it, it's kind of a, uh, it, it's a moniker of our society that, you know, hope there's a victim there. Whatever they're saying is 100% uh, true and, and their reputation is beyond reproach because they're a, a suspected victim. And I think that it's it's sad that the media doesn't take a deeper look, and Brett McMurphy especially, he didn't, you know, he went to one source, never questioned anyone else in this matter, and ran with the story. And, and of course, because of the people involved, much like in the Jim Jordan case with Urban Meyer, it becomes a national story, and it's, it's huge, and it's blowing up, and I think that Urban Meyer was unfairly punished because of it. All right. For those who haven't followed it that closely, let's rewind a little bit and give the people a little sense of what the narrative, the media narrative is. You mentioned this Brett McMurphy. He's a former ESPN reporter. And maybe from a media aspect, this is the part of the story that's most amazing and so indicative of the news media will embrace a narrative they like no matter what the source is. Uh, but yeah. it, but if they don't like it, it doesn't matter who reports it. Um, but here's McMurphy, who got fired at ESPN. He posts this on Facebook. I think he got fired from our newspaper in Florida as well for ethical violations. Okay, well, I, I don't know that much about his but, history, yeah. but, but he's currently... Uh, effectively unemployed, right? He's you know, so so. Norm- well, actually, he got a job now after this whole story. Well, broke, but at the time, yeah, he was unemployed. Right, but at the time of the report, he's unemployed, which usually means the media doesn't give you any credibility because if you're going to anybody can post anything on Facebook, right? Uh, yeah, there's I, uh, no editorial oversight on Facebook. Well, unless you're Alex Jones, I guess now, but that's in a whole other story. But <laughs> but, true, but, yeah. but 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 anyway, the point the point here is he posts this on Facebook, and and the allegation is. That back in 2015, Urban Meyer had to know about uh, domestic abuse between Zach Smith, one of his assistant coaches, and his wife at the time, Courtney Smith, because Courtney had sent text messages to Urban's wife indicating that she had been domestically abused. And from that, it was presumed that Urban Meyer had to know that the abuse had to be real and that there had to be some sort of a cover-up. That was the narrative. Am I, is that a fair assessment of what really yeah, that, what happened that- here? Yeah, that's that's how it started, and you know, and, and that was where the the initial reporting came from. And it, it's also important to note here that McMurphy was was wrong in the way he framed the discussion to begin with. He said that Zach Smith was arrested on felonious domestic violence charges in two, in I think June of 2015. That was the original report on his Facebook post. A Facebook post that has now been edited 15 different times because of his inaccuracies, by the way. And that was one of the first ones that came out. Zach Smith was never arrested 
in 2015. Now that's really important. That's really important, uh, Matt, and and something that I yeah. didn't even know as someone who's followed this fairly closely. Because and the reason why that's critical, and you mentioned this in the very same. Uh, CBS sports interview that I've, you've already referenced was riddled with errors on the part of the, the hosts. They they mentioned that Urban Meyer had lied to the media about this. And I even Correct. I even presumed that that was an accurate assessment. But what you're saying, and I and I believe that you're you're accurate, what you're saying is that Meyer was asked a question based upon a false report of an arrest that never happened, and that that may have been why he didn't tell the truth, because he's being hit with something he has no knowledge of. Is that accurate? That is exactly accurate. So, again, they, the Brett McMurphy report says he was arrested for felonious domestic violence charges in 2015. Urban Meyer was asked about that at Big Ten Media Days, and he said, I have no knowledge of that. I don't know what you're talking about, because that's not what happened. Now, Mark Murphy later, after that, went back and edited his Facebook post, which, you know, thank God Facebook tracks all the edits that you put in and timestamps them, and changed it to was investigated to. But, again, the media doesn't care about that. They care about Urban Meyer lied to the media. And, and so then that became the narrative. And I think that's important, too, to, to talk about in this case, whether it's the media or whether it's the Ohio State University and the investigation, it was all. This has been a case of moving the goalpost again and again and again, trying to find something that they can pin on someone. Now you've already mentioned that we live in a world where, especially at ESPN, uh, but the media in general, if there's any kind of an abuse victim at all alleged with. It doesn't take any uh, evidence or any logic. They automatically get a golden halo around them, and they can do no wrong, and everything they say is accurate, even when it contradicts uh, things they've said in the past uh, or, or even said in the present. And and this particular victim, Courtney Smith, now granted, she, she has some photographic evidence that is, is clearly compelling, but the more I have heard, and, I, and some of this has come from you, but it, not just from you, there's a lot more to the Courtney Smith story than uh, the media will tell you. Give us a sense about that. Well, I mean, just again, just kind of going with the facts of the matter, and this is all going to come out in a court case um, that was continued by the request of, of Courtney Smith's attorney because the court case was supposed to happen, um, I believe, two Fridays ago. The, and that was that's the court case that is uh, dealing with the protection order, Zach Smith violating the protection order, which is the actual charge that was filed against him, that he violated a protection order that was in place. Um, and the protection order was a proximity uh, uh, order, I guess. And, and, I mean, there's a whole other story to that of, of how he violated that. But, you know, there's going to be a lot more information that comes out about this case and, and, and Courtney Smith and her actions. I mean, you know, she was calling 911 reporting that Zach Smith was following her in his car, and the police would check on that, and Zach Smith was at Ohio State's football practice facility out on the field for practice at the time. And, and, and there's a number of those incidents that I think is, are going to come out in the, in the okay, report. Okay, but now the other side will say that, okay, maybe she was paranoid because she was terrified for her life and that Zach Smith was this horrible, horrible person and that therefore you can never condemn a, a victim of domestic abuse for anything, no matter how nutty it might be, after that abuse has occurred. What do you say about that? Well, I say that you've got to be, there, there's got to be some truth to, to charges that you're going to file when you call the police. You, you can't, you know, paranoia is a, is, a, is a real thing, but I mean, at some point, and, and I believe the, I think that, that there is a record there that she's called 
911 66 times in 90 days, and the officers stopped responding because none of it was accurate that, that what she was calling 911 about. And it's also important um, to point out, police never, uh, in Columbus, never arrested uh, Zach Smith for any of this. No, never arrested and never charged him with anything. The, the Powell Police Department, uh, which is basically a suburb of Columbus, uh, the Delaware County prosecutor looked into the into the uh, matter as well and, and looked at the evidence, and, and no one thought that there was enough there to, to charge Zach Smith with anything. Of course, the other side will say, well, that's all part of a massive Ohio State football uh, culture cover-up. Oh, yeah, massive cover-up, sure. Right, right yeah. which, of course, is ludicrous <laughs> if you know anything about the real world. But that's the that's the narrative that the media loves. And, and by the way, we're, I'm going to ask you about this later, but I, I'm a big believer that one of these – false stories begets another one and a lot of this has to do with the legacy of penn state they all think this happened at penn state and it happened at michigan state with nasser which also relates to the jordan case and so now they think it's happening with urban meyer and and it's just one injustice begets the next one in in my opinion not that not that there was nothing that was done wrong here but i i am confused among many things as to how you know to me the, the the biggest question about urban meyer's punishment is this ought to be an all or nothing situation he ought to either get fired or get nothing and based upon right. what what i've seen there's no evidence that he did anything we know for sure is wrong so why is he even getting suspended at all do you agree with that assessment <laughs> i do agree with that and i you know urban meyer agrees with that as well and i think that's why you saw the 10-hour uh meeting that was going on on Wednesday because I think Urban Meyer was in there fighting for them. I did not do anything wrong. The investigation started to to look at two different things. A, it started to look at whether Urban Meyer did the right thing in reporting this up the chain of command, the the, reports of the allegations or the investigation. Now, A, the Powell Police informed the uh, athletic director, Gene Smith. Gene Smith then informed Urban Meyer Urban Meyer then called Zach Smith off the road, and they and they brought him in, sent him to the Powell Police directly to answer the questions, and that's when the investigation took place. So, who is Urban Meyer supposed to report this to? Because his boss told him about it. So, I think that one. And, and again, the, if you read the twenty-three page report, the committee finds that Urban Meyer in no way violated any policy, contract, or law in reporting what he should have to his higher ups. So do so, you? Okay, so so, so that was done, and now they moved the goalpost again. Okay, so so now that now they look at Urban Meyer lying to the to the media. We have already talked about that about how the report was changed. They said that you know in the report he was misunderstood the question, and the question was you know however they worded it, but okay he didn't do that either. So he he didn't fail to report, and he didn't lie to the media. So in my mind, case closed, reinstating, putting back to work. So my assess- no. so my assessment, Matt, would be knowing the way these things work and the way uh, you know political correctness has overrun everything, but especially when it comes to academia and especially in the media in the middle of a media firestorm, it feels to me what they're really doing here is trying to split the baby so that they can placate the the media mob, the Twitter mob, uh, while also not destroying Urban Meyer to the extent where one he's going to sue them, uh, and two the, yeah. the the football program uh, might be irreparable irreparably harmed. Am I accurate in that assessment? I think that's what they tried to do. I think that they failed in doing so, but just simply by the nature of what the mob is, you can never satisfy the mob. And it's amazing to me and, and that people don't understand that, that 
that you know, no matter what you do, if they would have fired Urban Meyer, the national sports media said, would have said, well, why did it take you two weeks to figure that out? You should have fired him two weeks ago. You should have fired him immediately. So, I mean, there's, there's no satisfying the mob once it's at your doorstep. I mean, I, I think we all know that. So <clears throat> then, you know, now they're looking at, okay, all these lurid accusations come out about sex toys being sent to the office and all these things that I'm, I'm still at a loss as to how Urban Meyer is supposed to know what Zach Smith is receiving in the mail um, or, or what is on his private. Come on, phone. he's a god. He's he's a god. I mean, <laughs> he's named for a yeah. pope for for heaven's sakes, Pope Urban. He knows all at Ohio State. He knows yeah. what Zach Smith yeah. is doing in his bedroom, doesn't he? Yeah, he's when and and evidently that's what we're led to believe. So then by that, I think that's what they use to say, okay, well, all these things were happening. You should have known about them for that lack of. Uh, whatever discretion then now we're going to suspend you for the three games well now and 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 i agree with you i think that they did it purely on a political purpose there's no policy involved here because you know that's urban's discretion whether he sees a troubled assistant and wants to try to help him out through some tough times you know while he's going through a divorce and and hoping that he he turns his himself around and becomes a good football coach and a good person again that's urban's discretion he didn't zach smith did nothing that mandated his firing well, I mean, to, to, to be to be clear, though, to, to be clear, to, just to be clear, though, I mean, and I do think that there is some argument that uh, he had had he had been arrested at Florida, and that uh, issue was not apparently um, uh, given to the Ohio State brass when he was hired at Ohio State, and and well, so they did a background check on him. How can they not find that out? Then? Oh, I I'm look, I'm just trying to, I just want to make sure I'm fair and I lay out all the facts here. I mean, there is at least somewhat of an argument there, but let's go back for, to something you just said a, a minute ago, because uh, I am always fascinated in these situations, and it's in, it happens invariably, where the media looks at, uh, at an alleged fact, and they not only misinterpret it wrong, they often misinterpret it in the exact opposite direction of what makes more sense. And what I'm referring to here is you referenced that uh, one of the the stories that came out after the initial barrage is that, you know, Zach Smith was basically on this this sex rampage, uh, you know, screwing everything that moved in Columbus. And uh, as as if somehow this was uh, uh, evidence of the culture at Ohio State. And my thought was, wait a minute. Don't we now have a motive for Courtney Smith to have vengeance in her heart here about what happened with her and Zach Smith and and might provide an explanation for why it is that she is three years later making a huge deal about this and trying to bring everybody down? What do you make of that assessment? Oh, that's victim shaming, John. I mean, that's that's just pure victim shaming that that Courtney, you know, has to have pure motives. I mean, again, I think that that's that's you know, if you look at things logically and you look at the facts and you, and you take the emotion out of it, if you take the emotion out of, oh, my God, this is, you know, we've got a, a battered woman who's been beaten for the past nine years and, and no one has come to her aid. Now, granted, her own mother is siding on the side of Zach Smith in this argument. Right. Now, her that's, own mother. I was going to get to that. Let's 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 emphasize that point. Courtney Smith, the victim here. Tell us about her mother. Yeah, her mother is actually. On the side of Zach Smith. Now, she says, you know, Zach was a horrible husband. He cheated on his wife, but he never beat her. He never touched her. She was there. She even alleges that she was witnessed when Courtney tried to run him over with her car in front of their kids. I mean, and that's that's her mother stating that on the record. 
So, you know, I, I think, again, when you look at this logically, and there's always a, you know, a view from the other side of, well, the, you know, it, it's, it's this cover-up, but you've got Courtney Smith and Brett McMurphy on one side of this, and, and, and those are the only people close to Courtney Smith who are defending her. You've got the Powell Police, the Delaware County Prosecutor's Office, the Ohio State Police, the Ohio State Title IX Compliance Officer. You've got her mother, her mother-in-law, all on the other side. So, I mean, if you just look at that logically, take a step back, and then, I mean, their domestic issues are something for the court to settle. But if you want to look at this in the court of public opinion, I mean, look at, look at what is happening and look at the, at the mountain of evidence on one side versus the word of someone on the other. I mean, and, and I think, again, I'm, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what was going on in their household. But, I mean, you've got a lot of people on the record on the other side of this. My, my sense of this, and again, you're way closer than I am, but uh, people like to pretend that um, a domestic assault, abuse, uh, whatever you want to call it, claim is the same as any other kind of abuse claim. And it's frankly not, and I'm not diminishing it in any way, shape, or form, but especially when kids are involved, you have an inherent conflict when it comes to the alleged victim. And that, and I think that may have played a major role at various points in this whole situation. In fact, if you listen to what Courtney Smith has said, I think it's easy to interpret that she may have at one point decided, you know what, this is not good for our family to bring charges or to make this public, and I'm fine mm -hmm. with it, it remaining behind closed doors. And then when the circumstances change and she's no longer married, her kids are a little bit older, he's screwing around everywhere, she's pissed off, and we're post Me Too, now all of a sudden the circumstances have changed and she changes her story. That feels to me like a narrative that makes sense. Yes, no, maybe? I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe so. I mean, I think that there's there's obviously a lot of logic behind, you know, that, that thinking. I mean, again, no one knows that except Courtney Smith and what she's doing. But I think, again, when you look at this from a from an overview, and, and we're talking about Urban Meyer, and, and again, you know, Zach Smith was charged with a crime. He's got to go to court. He's been fired, okay? That, that, that's done and, and over with, and, and that, that's – you know, basically following the procedures of Ohio State. He was charged with a crime of violating a protection order. He's fired. Done. Then all the stuff continues to come out, and somehow Urban Meyer is brought into this as, as a you know person who's tried to cover this up, and then a person who's lied about it. That's where the real travesty is. I mean, Courtney and Zach Smith, you know, and, and their saga and their drama and their marriage is one thing, and, you know, Zach's actions and Courtney's actions, you know, that that's something they've got to deal with and that they are dealing with now is Zach losing his job and, you know, probably unemployable in any way, shape or form for, for the, you know, foreseeable future. And, but why is Urban Meyer being drug into this? What, you know, well, I mean, what is the motivation behind that? That's, that's what I find is so confusing. And that is so frustrating that the media just says, Oh, okay. Urban Meyer. Yeah. Let's go after him. Not, not thinking like, well, what is the connection and why, and, and let's say you ask those questions. Okay, did he cover it up? Did he lie about it? And if the answer to both of those questions is no, then let's then it should stop right there, and, and yeah. this should be done. And Urban Meyer should be, you know, going about his business. Well, as I already implied, a lot of this has to do with the legacy, the the, the mythology, the mythology of the 
so-called Penn State scandal and Joe Paterno. I mean, Joe Paterno was a very lucrative uh, narrative for them. And, you know, the media uh, likes to go back to lucrative narratives. And if they could do to Urban Meyer what they did to Joe Paterno, uh, then a lot of people have a self-interest in that. I, I am curious, uh, since I mentioned that, uh, two things. One, uh, what what do you what is your sense of the uh, public opinion there in Columbus regarding Urban Meyer and his support there? I think, I mean, obviously, I think it's a lot different here than it is on a national scale. I think that there's a lot of support for Urban Meyer here in Columbus because I think the people here, um, you know, obviously they've, they've got a sentimental investment to it if they're Ohio State fans or Ohio State alumni. And not saying that they are just blindly following, you know, what's happening and saying, well, this is wrong and Urban Meyer is right. But I think that that, that, that whatever you want to call that loyalty causes them to actually look into the facts of the matter. I mean, and I've had a lot of people on social media say, thank you for pointing out that, you know, the, the actual facts of what's going on and not just the media narrative. So I think that it's, it's easier for, for there to be support here in Columbus because, I mean, yes, you're going to have some of those blindly loyal fans that are just nuts. And I mean, every, every college has them that, you know, no matter what happens, they're going to follow the team. But I think on a, on a more, real basis that uh there's a lot of people who have actually taken the time to look into this and to, and to see the facts of the matter rather than just believing a headline that they read on on facebook or, or twitter and one of the more frustrating things that i have found in the uh, the so-called penn state scandal is that the media discounts the opinions of those who know the most about the story because in their minds they're just all crazed football they're fanatics homer. yep, they're, they're homers they're yep, cultists they so they don't matter even though they're the only ones who have an incentive to actually delve into the facts so it's like this perfect storm of insanity where yeah. it, it, it's the people who know nothing about the case whose opinion matters way more than those who know a lot about it and may even actually no people involved in it like i mean urban got torched because he didn't specifically reference courtney smith in the press conference and, and, and my reaction was like he knows courtney smith don't you think there's a chance maybe there's a reason why he didn't yeah. do that you know he knows yeah. way more than you do you morons and um yeah i mean that's it is. It's, 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 that's the frustrating thing that, you know, you're, you're immediately discounted. But again, I mean, I've, I've probably known more about this case, you know, just from the people that I talk to and the relationships that I have than 99% of the people who are writing articles about it. Oh, that's not difficult. And, that's not difficult. Um, well, I, I gotta, I gotta ask again, you, I, so I'm the Homer, right? Well, so, so I gotta ask you, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, do you have any more appreciation now for what the Penn State community had to go through? And and have, have your suspicions about that whole situation been heightened by what you guys have gone through? Um, you know, a little bit. I think it, it, when the Penn State thing happened, you know, you got to look at um, – I don't think that the media had the same, um, I guess, brand that they do now. So, I mean, there, there has been pushback on, on the media narrative of this a little bit, you know, obviously around here, but, but a lot more than what happened in the Penn State case on the national stage. But, you know, that back then, I think that the media was still a little bit beyond reproach, that, that you thought of, okay, if the media is reporting this, that this had to be true. And, you know, now for whatever reason that is, I mean, and there's a myriad of them. I mean, I think that, you know, some of them valid, some of them not. Um, there's a there's a healthy distrust of national media right sorry, now. So are you saying are you saying I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying 
that Urban Meyer got indirectly saved by Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, let's not give Trump credit for this. Just, just, just quite. Well, that's what I'm hearing. Although, I'm, I mean, because I assume he will take that. But, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's. I mean, in a roundabout way, you could say that yeah. that you know the the way Donald Trump has kind of conducted himself. He's caused a lot of people to question the media that, right. that probably never would have questioned. All right. Okay. All right. So I, in our remaining time, the other Ohio State issue that uh, I know you're you're very knowledgeable of, uh, people might find that surprising because you're a football guy and this is a wrestling story, but uh, you're, you're, you're very uh, familiar with a lot of the people uh, directly in this story, maybe even as much or more so than the Urban Meyer story, as far as I can tell, uh, is, <laughs> yeah, a is, the, is the Jim Jordan story. And uh, and for those who've forgotten, Jim Jordan, Ohio uh, congressman, might be the next speaker of the House, although I doubt it. Uh, Trump just praised him this week uh, you few, uh, in, in a, a dramatic uh, praise, in fact, uh, talking about his wrestling. So Trump was not bashful at all about uh, this scandal, uh, referencing this scandal. I'm, sure, I'm not sure if Jordan was thrilled about that but uh, because it reminded people of it. But, but the, the allegation is that there's this doctor, Richard Strauss, who's been dead for 13 years, who was a sports doctor at Ohio State, treated a lot of different athletes, but specifically uh, wrestlers. Uh, it appears as if Dr. Strauss was gay, uh, and that a lot of wrestlers now, post-Larry Nasser, are saying uh, that he sexually abused them to some degree, and that Jim Jordan somehow either should have known or maybe really did know or knew something, and that uh, this is how they got the media interested in the story because otherwise you got a dead doctor for 13 years who was never sued, was never arrested. You got nothing. But once you get Jim Jordan, now you got a media story. And yeah. um, first of all, is that is that a fair assessment of, of how we got into where we are on this? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, that's, that's uh, pretty pretty accurate to, to where we <laughs> where we've ended up here. okay now now the key person in this story is a guy by by the name of mike de sabato and uh de sabato is a guy who you and i have talked a lot about and i have now had about two hours of conversation with uh, for an article that i wrote uh in mediate uh, about two weeks ago which people yeah, should how was that <laughs> uh, matt the guy's insane I mean, he, yeah, he, yeah. I, I'm, John, I'm going to court on Tuesday for because I, I've had to file telephone harassment charges against him. Against Mike the Sabato. Yeah, I've got I, nine counts of telephone harassment charges that are uh, he's going to be arraigned on on Tuesday. And, and is that related to this case, or is that totally yeah, separate? That's related to this case. Okay, yeah. so so you are directly involved in this situation, and, and would you agree with my assessment that Mike the Sabato is insane? I, I, I would say that he is definitely has some kind of mental deficiency. Okay. All right. Um, and now, I, now that I'm not a psychiatrist, so I don't know if he's insane or not. Okay. I, he's, in my opinion, he's not all there. I've lived. I lived for 51 years. I've talked to a lot of people. He's about as nutty as they get. Now that doesn't mean he's lying about everything. Um, yeah. Now, but let's be clear about why he's a really, really, really bad person for NBC to use as their primary source to begin this Jim Jordan story. Here are the following things, which I, some of which you are the person who, who told me about and, and verified. But we've got uh, DeSabato has sued Ohio State multiple times because of his loss of the ability to sell 
uh, memorabilia, paraphernalia, whatever, uh, licensing agreements with Ohio State. We've got, sure. we, we got um, a, a video of him, which you sent me, uh, of him in a public place clearly joking about Dr. Strauss, right? I mean, yeah. um, we got him sending a tweet last year praising the character of Jim Jordan. Uh, yeah. uh, we, we, uh, and um, not to mention the fact that uh, he's a nut job who may or may not have uh, financial issues because of this licensing situation. He has already asked Ohio State for money uh, because of, in light of the Larry Nasser circumstance. I mean, all of these things combined, you he, would think. And, and John, he, he, wait, he asked Ohio State for money, gave them a two-week deadline, and then two weeks later went on NBC. I didn't even know that. Okay, so yeah, he he sent Ohio, he sent Ohio State an email, and I thought I sent you this, but he sent Ohio State an email that that uh, he requested, uh, you know, contact by whoever had the authority to negotiate a settlement within the next two weeks, and then two weeks later, almost to the day, is when the NBC story broke about Jim Jordan. Now it's it's astonishing to me that NBC would use this guy. Now I'm not saying that he's totally lying because there's some things he says says about dr strauss that i believe i'm not sure that it's necessarily criminal what he's claiming some of it's really weird and i gotta tell you i'm yeah. not just saying he's well, a- i mean and keep in mind too this is mike DeSabato is a guy who, who would frequently go to dinner with dr strauss while in college Okay, well, you know that's that. You know the, the the other side will say that that's part of the grooming process uh, yeah. of a of a victim uh, by somebody like Dr. Strauss. But um, I, I will say just to, just so you, people th- don't don't think I'm making stuff up about the Sabato being nuts. I have text messages from him that you know based upon today's very very low standard of sexual abuse. I think I could claim he's sexually abusing me, and I'm being totally serious. I mean, he, he has asked me uh, whether I'm gay. He's asked me whether I'm sex, I've been sexually abused. He has sent me naked pictures of men. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, so, I mean, this guy is crazy. And yeah. so he, he is the primary source that NBC uses to make this a Jim Jordan story, and then the secondary source. Okay, so M- yeah. from NBC's perspective, they go, well, it wasn't just Mike DeSabato. We had a second source. The second source is a guy named Dinesha Yetz, who story I know very well because I wrote about a book about Steubenville High School football team, and that's where Dinesha played high school football and wrestled. Here's a guy who was convicted of federal fraud charges for having stolen almost two million dollars from his own clients and these these are the two sources nbc uses to make this into a jim jordan story how how is this possible matt i I mean the only explanation for that is they had a bloodlust out for for jim jordan and when the opportunity presented itself they took it no matter what the cost or who was telling it I mean, I mean, everything you've laid out against Mike is, is accurate, and I could tell you, I, I could spend 15 more minutes here telling you everything about Mike DeSabato and, and why he would not be a credible witness. You know, Dinashi Yetz, same, you know, same thing. Um, but again, you know, you, and, and not to mention, you've singled out one assistant wrestling coach out of seven 
not the head coach, not the athletic director, not any of the other six. Who are, you know, a lot of them prominent Ken Churchill, you know, Olympic gold medalists. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of prominent people there. How about this? One of the victims, Mark Coleman, who claimed that Jim Jordan knew and then later went back, was also an assistant coach on the on the same staff. So he was essentially implicating himself, by the way, in a cover. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. So I mean, but, but yeah, I mean, that's the only explanation is, is they saw blood in the water and Jim Jordan's name on it, and it didn't matter who the source was because they knew that again in in, in today's day and age. People don't check that. People don't research it. People don't care to know. They see the headline, and they run with it, and all of a sudden, Jim Jordan is an evil person. Let's talk about Mark Coleman for a second, because <laughs> Mark Coleman is a guy some some people know because he was a, a prominent pro wrestler. And, yeah, UFC champ. Right, and so he um, was one of those who followed uh, DeSabato and Yetz as the media was – was increasing this headcount of people who alleged that Jim Jordan had to know about Dr. Strauss, even though none of them ever actually said that they told Jordan anything. It's oh, it was always Correct. it was always well, Jim had to know because everybody knew it was locker room banter, blah blah blah. So so Coleman, because he's friends with Jordan, this be, and he's because he's somewhat famous. This becomes media catnip. They love this yeah. the, the, the Coleman narrative. They love now. You told me almost immediately after he told his story that Coleman was going to flip back, and that turned out to be true. He signed an affidavit, which I released in the Mediate article, which for some reason mm-hmm. the Jordan people decided they did not want to release. He did an interview with CNN where he effectively recanted his criticism of, of Jim Jordan. Um, and and there was also, according to the guy who was facilitating this affidavit, uh, a guy by the name of Brett Adams, there's an allegation that the Sabato may have actually paid Coleman, uh, either directly or indirectly, for his original story. What do you know about that? Yeah, I mean, what you said is what I've heard, obviously, you know, made the same kind of thing. And again, I mean, when you talk about how the media even covered that, the, the headline wasn't Mark Coleman, you know, walks back his statement and defends Jim Jordan. Right. The headline was Mark Coleman, victim of sexual abuse. Right, which is so classic. That is so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so classic that that's what they took out of that is they forgot, they forget about the part we don't like. Oh, Mark Coleman is, is saying that he was sexually abused by, by Dr. Strauss. Uh, instead of, oh, by the way, this major national story might be bullcrap because one of the main accusers is retracting his story and unfortunately didn't have the guts to acknowledge if, in fact, he was paid uh, by DeSabato, that that's what facilitated his original story. Yeah. Um, but the, the, there's so many things that are wrong about this. But I'm curious, Matt, as a guy who knows these people and a guy who – you know, you're you were a you're a big guy, uh, defensive lineman at Ohio State. Yeah, and, and and I know a lot of these people. Uh, in full disclosure, a because Jim Jordan is a second cousin of mine, so I've known Jim my entire life. Mm-hmm. I wrestled all the way through high school. When I was being recruited to wrestle here at Ohio State at the same time, Jim was a, was an assistant coach. Um, I was being recruited to wrestle here, and I ended up actually coming and playing football instead of wrestling. But I knew a lot of the. I knew Mark Coleman. Uh, you know, knew a lot of the guys on the team back then. So, you know, that's how I've kind of am ingrained in this one as well. Okay, so here's what I want to know, Matt. <laughs> it's yeah. uh, it's really hard for me to – it's easy for me to wrap my brain around the idea that Dr. Strauss was gay and who liked uh, hanging around naked um, male athletes and, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe giving examinations that were um, – 
uh, far too um, uh, intense uh, for, you know, to what degree that is. I, I don't think anyone could ever possibly know that part. Yeah. I, that part, I don't have a problem believing. And I've even been told, although I don't know that you you've been able to um, to confirm this, but I've been told by by others that there were there were wrestlers who were given prescription drugs uh, effectively in exchange for turning the other way and not saying anything about uh, uh, him uh, having his his I don't know what you would call it, but you know ogling them in a in a in a uh, in a in a medical situation. None of that is appropriate. None of that is defensible. But what's really hard for me to wrap my brain around is the idea of what you and I might especially in the 80s or 90s, think of, of actual real sexual abuse occurring against college-level wrestlers and them <laughs> not saying anything about it. Can you, can you wrap your brain around that concept? No. And, I mean, and that's the, the thing um, that I find. I mean, I don't know these guys, that, what their interaction was specifically. I've talked to some people, you know, who were there at the time. Some of them have said, you know, hey, yeah, Dr. Strauss was a little creepy and weird. I never was sexually molested or anything like that, but he was a, he was a creepy, weird guy. But, but again, let, let's, let's lay all of the, you know, forget about the Nasser, forget about all the, you know, the Me Too movement, but just take a look at the, at the facts. You've got a 130-pound doctor who was supposedly forcing himself on wrestlers now, I mean, whether it was the '80s or '90s or now, the wrestlers are the toughest guys on the, on the at the college. I mean, it's not the football players. You don't ever want to mess with wrestlers. I mean, they're. The, I mean, and again, a guy like Mark Coleman, 220 pounds, UFC champion, four percent body fat. That guy is going to just let a, a, a 130 pound doctor sexually molest him. I mean, get out of here. There's no way that that's happening. And I think that you know the the other thing. Again, when you look at this, and I told guys about this, said, you know, legally, this is a tough, tough case for them to prove. And I think Ohio State is going to fight this. I don't think they're going to roll over like Michigan State did and cut a check. Because you've got a doctor who had zero complaints about him while he was his entire career at Ohio State. Zero. Zero complaints while he was at three other universities as well as a physician. Zero complaints while he was in the U.S. Navy as a physician. Zero. Nothing. And then 30 years later, and the by the way, is somehow responsible for, for what happened when no one reported it. I and, don't think that that's going to happen. And by the way, all the claims are outside the statute of limitations because he's been dead longer than the statute of limitations or just as long yeah. as the statute of limitations. I, got, I hope you're right. But my guess is that there's been enough media coverage where Ohio State uh, gives up something. They're going to give something. I, I've, uh, now, this is this is speculation. And I've heard this from a couple people. So I'm, I'm, I think that it might have have some legs to it, but I've heard that Ohio, Ohio State is going to offer to pay for counseling services for anyone who, who <laughs> wants them, but they're not looking to give to pay monetary settlements. I would be fine with that. Uh, that would be actually one of the the, the closest uh, developments to justice or somewhat uh, semblance of justice that I've seen in any of these cases. I just got. I'm, I'll just be surprised, especially with the Urban Meyer stuff as well. Um, you know, I, I get surprised whenever there's anything close to justice in these cases because we we lo- we lose our freaking minds. We we start to believe things that are fairy tales that are completely absurd 
And the media, of course, has no incentive to blow these fairy tales up because then they look like they're blaming victims or victim shaming or they're, they're, they're way too into virtue signaling. That's what this is all about. It's not reporting. Yeah. It's virtue signaling. And I've never understood it. And it, to me, it's getting worse and worse. But I hope you're right uh, about well, Ohio John, State. It's, it, about, it's, about, yeah, it's about money at the end of the day. I mean, you know, the truth a lot of times doesn't doesn't deliver the clicks that the story does well that's for sure i mean the, the truth has no uh no no economic incentive in it especially in cases like this because for some bizarre reason people want to believe that these kind of things happen which i've never understood i i've always thought yeah. that the better story would be guess what nobody got sexually abused uh, but but, yeah. but no, <laughs> nobody nice? nobody wants nobody wants that story for some bizarre reason but uh, you know, and and the and the weirdest part for me about the Jim Jordan story is I don't even like Jim Jordan because I think he's too much of a Trump sycophant, and I, I think I don't think I don't like the way he's handled the Russia investigation. But it looks like he's going to survive this, um, w- yeah. uh, which I guess is good, uh, even though you know uh, part well, of me I mean, is conflicted then, about that. You, know, you and I, yeah, I mean, you and I had this conversation when we first talked. I mean, regardless of what you feel about Jim Jordan's politics. I mean, I will go to bat for Jim Jordan as a person and as a, you know, in his character any day of the week. And like, I mean, I've known that man for 43 years. Uh, you know, his sister used to babysit me. I, I've never known Jim Jordan to, to be, you know, do anything that, that isn't in the right frame of mind. I, I've never known him to turn the other cheek or, or to you know, turn a blind eye to any kind of, you know, thing that would be going on like that. And, and like I said, I mean, you can, you can disagree with his politics and policies all you want. But when you start to attack his character, I think that's another another thing altogether. I totally believe that. And Matt, uh, thanks so much for being one of the uh, the few guys to, to stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, let's look at the facts here and let's not get so emotional on both of these stories. And I've, I've appreciated uh, getting to know you about this, and I, and I hope we'll keep in touch. Sounds good, John. Absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Matt Finks. Uh, follow him on Twitter, former defensive end for the Ohio State Buckeyes in the 1990s in a sports analyst for television in Columbus. Uh, good guy, and I think he had a lot of important and uh, truthful things to say that you won't hear elsewhere because it doesn't fit with the mainstream news media narrative on all this. As I already um, alluded to, uh, I do want to mention a couple things about this Catholic Church story that has exploded over the last couple of weeks. One in Pennsylvania, where there was a grand jury that came out uh, that indicated that there were over uh, 300 uh, uh, priests or church officials who had abused children uh, in Pennsylvania with over a thousand victims, with the implication being that there are actually far more than a thousand victims. And, uh, and, and obviously, understandably, this was met with a great deal of horror and shock. Uh, I, I'm always a little bit uh, wary on situations like this, not because I don't believe that this happens. I, I do believe it happens. I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic grade school. I went to Catholic high school. I went to Catholic college, or at least allegedly Catholic college, Georgetown University, not really anymore. But that's another story for another day. But the, the point is I've, I've had priests. I've had gay priests. Uh, and I got to tell you, I've always believed that a large portion of the Catholic Church scandal, if not the vast majority of it, all comes as a result of this fundamental issue. 
So why is this happening in the Catholic Church? Well, it's not that difficult to figure out, except you have to be at least a little politically incorrect. You see, you're not allowed to, not allowed to put this narrative out there because it, it sounds, whoo, that's dicey. That's dangerous. Uh, we, we, can't be, we can't be telling the truth about uh, any of this. Blasphema! Right. Um, we're not allowed to do that. Uh, but, but here's the reality. Catholic Church edict says priests can't be married. So what does that mean? Well, for a very long time, especially when there was no such thing as gay marriage, what does that mean? Heterosexuals are far more likely to decide, you know what, I don't want to become a priest because I can't get married, I can't have children, and theoretically, I can't even have sex, right? That's a big ask for heterosexual men, even by God, or allegedly by God. All right. So inherently, inherently, the percentage of gay priests increased dramatically or is, is far more is a far greater percentage than it would normally be if, let's say, priests could be married and be in relationships. Now, why is that? Part of it's because, again, before there was gay marriage, obviously, gay people had no interest in being married. There's no loss for them to go into the priesthood. In fact, for some of them, it was a heck of a cover story for their moms and their dads. They'll become a priest, and that's why they never got married. When in reality, it's because they're gay. All right? Now, here's where it gets really politically incorrect. The reality is that gay men are like much like heterosexual men. There's nothing inherently nefarious about this necessarily from an intense standpoint with regard to gay men gay men are sexually attracted to teenage boys all right that's a fact not all a lot are now it's a matter of whether or not you act on that attraction i mean any heterosexual man that tells you that they don't find uh, attractive 16 17 year old girls on the beach uh worth looking at is a liar okay but it's a matter of whether or not you actually act on it so in my view a large part of what happened here is that priests via their position as teachers or just by virtue of being priests and having access to altar boys or what have you, they were able to tell, and you can tell this at a pretty early age, sometimes really early age, which boys are likely to be gay and therefore unlikely to fight you on this. Again, I am not in any way, not even close to justifying it. I'm explaining it. I'm telling you what happened here, all right? The reality is that a large part of this scandal is gay priests with young teenage boys who they either thought were going to be gay or, in fact, were showing signs of being gay. That's, by the way, one of the reasons why very few of the victims ever said anything. It's Part of it's because, obviously, there's a stigma. Obviously, with the priest, you're talking about, my gosh, it's God, right? I mean, the priest has the ultimate power. Far more power, by the way, than Jerry Sandusky ever would have dreamed of having over a child because he was a former assistant football coach at Penn State. The reality is that these priests were able to use this power 
over these kids. Now, is this the, there's obviously other examples that are far even more nefarious than this. I'm talking about what the bulk of these cases are about, the fundamental issues of these cases. And there's another element of this, which I, I have to acknowledge that because of the Penn State uh, experience that I've, I've had, which has been torturous, I'm a little bit more skeptical of because, one, grand juries are really not magical. I mean, the media pretends, oh, a grand jury said, a grand jury gets one side of the story and there's no unanimous verdict. And basically just anything that the prosecutor wants, they can, you know, the old adage that can, you can indict a ham sandwich in a grand jury. I mean, so I'm not impressed by the words grand jury. In fact, I get very skeptical about the words grand jury. I also had another uh, situation occur, and this is mostly just anecdotal. Take it for what it's worth. But a couple of years ago, I was in San Diego, ironically enough, having dinner with a, a sportscaster there who is a former Penn State football player who was friends with Jerry Sandusky, who I convinced that Jerry Sandusky was innocent. But, of course, like everybody else, he doesn't have the balls to say anything publicly because he has too much to lose. And as we were having dinner, he happened to see a friend of his who's a local lawyer. And he introduced the guy as a lawyer who had worked as a plaintiff's attorney on a lot of Catholic church abuse cases. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get slaughtered by this guy because he's going to tell him that I'm a Jerry Sandusky defender. And this guy's going to, you know, be all pissed off at me. Much to my shock. It was exactly the opposite. Here again, this guy's a plaintiff's attorney who said he had worked dozens of Catholic church cases. And against his own self-interest, a guy he's just met, he says to me, you know, I got the feeling, I'm quoting almost directly, you know, I got the feeling about two-thirds of my clients were lying. I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> he actually said that to me. Now, take that for what it's worth, but... The reality here is you got deep pockets. And whenever you have deep pockets, the numbers are going to expand almost like they're on steroids. And it's not always based on truth. Now, I'm not defending the Catholic Church at all. I am a beyond a lapsed Catholic. I refer to myself as a recovering Catholic. I have major problems with huge tenets of Catholicism. I think Catholicism is in big trouble, and rightfully so. And the other uh, part of this story, which further facilitates that, is the news out this weekend that now Pope Francis has been implicated in this scandal in a huge way. Huge. That apparently he knew about this Cardinal McCarrick, uh, and that not only did he know about him, I'm always very concerned about this word, no. What, what does that mean? You knew what? Well, apparently he actually... Pope Francis, according to a, a former top church official who wrote this scathing missive yesterday, that Pope Francis actually gave Cardinal McCarrick back his privileges. He unsanctioned him as, as he had been sanctioned during Pope Benedict's reign because of the sexual abuse allegations against him. And this... Again, we need to find out what the facts are. But the allegation here from a 
former top Vatican official, is that both Pope Benedict, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis, the current Pope, knew full well what was going on and may have actually openly facilitated essentially a cover-up of this Cardinal McCarrick. And what's most interesting to my, at least to me, with regard to my theory about what really caused this, when you read the missive, it's it's obvious that what really drove this is that there is a quote-unquote gay cabal within the Vatican that was protecting those who were accused. Why? Because they're fellow gay men. And maybe they, I'm trying to give them the most benefit of the doubt, maybe they were somehow rationalizing that that's what this was really about and maybe it wasn't as bad as as seen or who knows or maybe they were just flat out protecting themselves i don't know but now that this thing has apparently gotten all the way to pope francis wow look out the catholic church is in big big trouble uh and of course you know i'm always looking at everything through the lens of well, what about penn state can we please there i can't find one of these cases that's remotely similar to what allegedly happened at penn state as an example We've got a, a, a former top church official implicating two living popes right now. Living popes. Joe Paterno has been dead for seven years and not one person at Penn State has ever said, yep, Joe knew. Not one. How is that possible, people? Use your flipping brains. If someone is willing to implicate two popes... <laughs> Seven years after the alleged cover-up comes collapsing down, someone would say, yep, uh, Joe knew, and uh, here's the evidence I have that Joe knew, or here's the conversation I had that Joe knew. It's all bullshit. It didn't happen. And there's never been, nor will likely ever be, another one of these stories, whether it's Nasser or whether it's the Dr. Strauss or, or any of these stories. None of them are like Penn State because it didn't happen. And if you're interested in more information about that, just go to my website, www.framingpaterno.com. That'll do it for hour number three of this edition of the World According to Zig podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you check out hour number one, our news hour, and hour number two, a great interview with Republican strategist Rick Wilson, author of the book, Everything Trump Touches Dies. And check everything out at our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. As always, I ask only two things of you. Number one, please make sure you share this via social media whether that's uh, Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, what have you, that's much appreciated. Number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who uh, sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com.
Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.